Hello, 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 and welcome back to another video on this channel. Today, I am indeed joined by good old friend Warren Ju, Ju Fu Chung, who just got into Cambridge. If you haven't realized, wait for it. We are going to be doing wait, a wait, few wait, videos. Trinity out College. Of Trinity College. We yes, have, Trinity we Cambridge. Have, we are going to be milking this subject to the death in the future, but that is not this day so far. Today, we're going to be talking about is art. Warren Ju is going to study philosophy at Trinity. So I thought we we're going to be talking about this important philosophical concept. Warren Ju, how are you? And also, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm feeling great. Well, uh, Josh told me that we don't have too long of a time today when we're talking. So I thought we could go into a specific philosophical area that I've been thinking about recently. And it is this um, very famous distinction between is and art. I think first proposed by Hume. And what Hume has said, uh, Hume said basically, is that there is no way to get an art from an is. That is, we cannot get a, a value of what we can do from what is the case in the world. And I guess my argument against this is-not distinction is that the idea that there's something that is a pure is without an art is, is incoherent mostly. It's under a very sort of scientific worldview that we can separate, isolate things into an is. Whereas normally when we perceive things, we don't perceive them as is, and then we try to add the art on top of it. But but I directly perceive the art within the is. For example, when I let's let's say when I'm when I sit in front of my computer, what I directly perceive is not just the keyboard with all the individual letters scattered on on top of it. What I perceive directly, I, I don't make any inference on top of it, is the keyboard there for me to type on. Therefore, there's no there's no this is art distinction necessarily. And that's, I directly see that I should, I ought to do something. I feel the pull of the phenomenon when I see it without sort of seeing the facts. So the is art distinction maybe works in very limited cases, but there, there's a tendency for one to push it to cases where it doesn't really apply. Because in, in our everyday experience, when we return to the phenomenon, so to speak, I don't see how there, there is, I don't see how our experience is structured with an is and an art. Rather, our experience is intermingled between them already. Perhaps to stop you right there and perhaps to go back a bit and to discuss a bit more about what is, is an art. Perhaps we could talk about is art from the perspective of where it's most situated in. And that is precisely um, the moral discussion about how a moral is perhaps cannot be sectioned into a moral art. Or in fact, a moral, a moral discussion is precisely the discussion about art, but is not a discussion about what is. And perhaps there is that kind of the framework in which Hume is writing, which the later people are writing about it. I think it's also GE more developing the naturalistic fallacy as yeah. well in its later um, distinctions as well. So do you want to talk a bit more about this? is art perhaps at least in a moral distinction about yeah. what it is and perhaps its relationship with more and Hume as well. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess it would be this, that when we're thinking about morals, there, there's a question of, well, I see that, I see that a lot of people are suffering right now. That, that's the classic case of uh, separating the is from the art. I see that I'm suffering a lot and I want to get out of this suffering. However, does this mean that I ought to, ought to want to get out of this suffering? I ought to want to reduce suffering. I think that that's the classic case where one sees it is from the art. And what I want to perhaps argue is that it's, it's a great sort of logical insight, reflectively, when, when we analyze sort of the, the structure of the intention, uh, when, when we're sitting inside our rooms, we can see that there really is a jump from I want to get out of this suffering 
do I ought to want to get out of suffering or I ought to get out of this suffering? However, mm -hmm. my argument would be that when we directly observe ourselves in the situation, suffering, I don't see how one can see where there is from the art when one's directly in the situation. That is, perhaps my argument would be that it is a, it is a, valid, um, it is a valid observation that there is this is art gap. But this is art gap only, it is not necessarily natural. It is more man-made. It is created when we reflect upon our experience. It does not inhere in experience itself. Whereas in experience, when we're suffering, we directly, we directly see that it is good to get out of the suffering without asking ourselves why it is good to get out of the mm -hmm. suffering. And a lot of the times, I think the disease is, is exactly philosophy. People like me, like you, who keep on asking the question reflectively to try to sort of dig into the heart of the matter. When what, what we get into is really confusion on top of confusion in the Wittgensteinian sense. So I, I guess that's my argument. We should, we should think mm -hmm. less and, and act more to get out of this Indeed. Perhaps to elaborate your thoughts about this a bit more, and I, and I think I understand where you're coming from, and I think it is a very good argument, and perhaps we can discuss like why I think about it in the future, in, in a bit later on in this video. But I think one of the interesting things, or perhaps parallels, would you suggest that the dilemma or the distinction between is and ought is kind of a false distinction in the same way that you could argue that when we're discussing, like perhaps in Heideggerian terms, ontic and ontological, perhaps there's a similar false distinction such that the ontic is the ontological or the ontological is the ontic if we are looking at a more of a phenomenological sense where you cannot actually separate them too. Do you think that that's a similar comparison perhaps to yeah. if someone is more of a phenomenologist when they're approaching mm -hmm. this discussion? Yeah. Or for, for Heidegger, it would be ontic maps onto sort of the scientific endeavors. Of course, not exclusively the mm -hmm. science, but for him, yes. mainly mm -hmm. the science when he's using ontic in a sort of derogatory sense compared to his big term ontological. Of course, I, I guess this distinction is being talked about perhaps almost too much, but just talking about this distinction, because uh, some philosophers would, would like to say that, okay, when, whenever they see some, someone uh, scientifically minded talking about some scientific, I don't know, fact or theory, they're just like, okay, that's the ontic thing. Uh, it doesn't really matter. We have to talk about ontological. I don't think that's necessarily the right stance to take either when we're making a distinction. Because one, one can be over, overly, dismissive of science if one uh, sticks to the ontic ontological distinction where the ontological is sort of uh, it's much better than the ontic but perhaps what one can say as you pointed out is that what it is very difficult to separate the ontic from the ontological that is perhaps let's see that the work of a scientist when they're investigating the phenomenon one, one wants to say that the scientist is trying to be objective and then trying to investigate what just is. But really, when, when we ask sort of the, when we see what motivates the best scientists, well, Richard Dawkins even talks about this, about the wonder, when, <laughs> when he's, you know, he, he talks about this a lot. I think I got shown this in, the, in a biology class. So I'm taking this as an example of the wonder of uh, exploring the animals, of looking at them, the same as uh, Feynman talked about it, the, the fun of it all. And also Einstein, who's uh, a, a slight, I think pantheist. So I think it's it's hard to separate the ontological from the ontic in the sense that one is always motivated by the ontological or, or in the mm -hmm. sense sort of this deeper motivation of an awe or wonder or an ethical, perhaps even deeper than ethical motivation to do certain things in the world. And when one makes it is art distinction, one is making the same mistake as one saying that the scientist's job 
is just to see what is rather than almost explore and venture on a journey. Mm -hmm. if, perhaps at this point, I would like to say, well, do you think that this discussion that we've made about the ontic and ontological, and this is perhaps the reason why I raised the ontic and ontological here, do you think that the difference between the two, as we said, or not necessarily a difference, but the relationship between the two is similar or perhaps mirroring the is and ought relationship that you're trying to raise here, such that they cannot actually be separated? The is and the ought is almost like the ontic and the ontological tied in together and cannot be separated. Not that there is no difference between the two, but rather that they should be seen as inseparable kind of whole perhaps or a synthesis i think one can make an argument for that i think you're right it's a sense that there are valid categories and valid distinctions that we make even if one cannot separate the two it's like um an example would be i have a, i have pure here i was planning on eating it but you told me to do a podcast so i didn't eat it so you, you have i have the pier and i have sort of the skin and i have the core inside of course it's separate but as appear, the, the two cohere together. So they're separate, but of intermingling with each other at the same time. And one can, I think one can make a reasonable argument. And that, that would perhaps be what I wanted to say when I'm saying that scientists, even when they're investigating the ontic, is still motivated by the ontological. And then the ontic and ontological is mixed together in the same sense as normally the is and the ought is mixed together also. As in when we see a fact, we're already motivated by the fact without doing this a secondary reflective thinking of adding the ought onto the is. Although I think one can also make a case that, let's say, when, when we're really doing some reflective thinking, there is, we, we can make these distinctions, but these distinctions are, and this, these distinctions are useful in some, in some places when we're perhaps doing a logical argument and really wanting to get into the weeds of these these logical fallacies but perhaps not so much in real life or at least when we're returning to real life they intermingle together and this intermingling I, I perhaps one can argue is is the ideal state to try for there's an, a re really ancient confucius idea where the and i think this is present in christianity also of mm -hmm. the alt the the ideal mode of being is this integration of all levels of resolution so in, in Confucius, there's the very famous uh, book called uh, University. And it's like, what, what does it mean to get an education? And this education is, I, I first start from myself. I, I start from my heart. And I, I start from my heart goes to my motivation. I go from my motivation to myself. I go from myself to my family. I go from my family to my country. And I go from my country to the world. And there's this integration of all of these levels of resolution together of me as my heart, my, my motivation, myself, my family, uh, my household, and my country and the world together in harmony that makes an ideal state of being. And that is what education should strive for, this integration. And in the same sense, I would argue that that's this integration between the is and the art, almost this re reflective, a pre-reflective ability to directly identify what is wrong and what is not wrong in the situation at hand in in this Aristotelian embodied sense is also something that one should strive for. Of course, there's a great thing about reflecting back on it and then separating the is and the ought because it enables us to question sort of whether the whether the ought that we're deriving from the is is valid. However, when, when we directly perceive, I think one can almost belabor the point too much of this is-ought distinction, is-ought distinction, to the point that one, 
one is afraid of saying anything substantial about anything that mm -hmm. is connected with, mm -hmm. with the real world. And perhaps now we can perhaps move a bit on to move on a bit to our discussion about the isonaut because i think we've kind of categorized quite well what is isot and perhaps the preliminary discussion that warren and i perhaps have about the problem of the isot and, and i think there's two ways we can talk about isot and perhaps problems of it one is maybe a sociological a psychosociological in, in, interpretation of the isot and why that might be flawed and perhaps a more a strict more logical problem of the isot and and of course when we hear the naturalistic fallacy or the isot fallacy or the problem it's very easy for us to put this logical fallacy there. But it appears to me that it's not necessarily clearly fallacious in the strictest logical sense that you're making a logical fallacy when you are using an is-ought. Of course, if you're arguing about an is as an ought, then you could perhaps say that you're using this form of equivocation fallacy, and that's as far as you can go. But if you're using as in a univocal way and treating the, the is as the ought and such that there are no substantial differences, and when I mean substantial difference, I mean like not that they're different, but rather as there are one and the same part of an ethical dilemma, not that only ought is ethical or only is is not ethical, rather that they're both ethical and that they're part of a same similar category of discussion. Perhaps you can say that when we're talking about is and ought as one and the same, we are actually not making a fallacious reasoning. But of course, that only makes it into the case when you actually are using the two terms properly in the sense that we have been discussing previously. What are your thoughts about this? Well, I would say that one is not make, using a fallacious reasoning in the sense that one is not contradicting oneself when one's adding the art onto the is uh, when one does it carefully however i think that the critique of the criticism perhaps of, of uh, people adding the art onto the is is that you're almost smuggling smuggling in uh, a premise without explicitly stating so mm -hmm. for example if i see someone suffering i'm saying it is wrong that is wrong i'm i they it would be natural for us to think that there's a natural jump from the suffering to it is wrong. Whereas we are uh, logically, it would the, the deduction wouldn't be justified unless we have another premise of something like uh, it is good to minimize suffering. And then we, we have the whole thing. And the criticism of the is ought would be that we are sl slipping in that premise without ex explicitly stating mm -hmm. it out and well you can respond to that and i want to toss out another point that we can discuss that is uh, the implication i've been thinking about this if without the is art is that science itself the investigation into the facts itself can can be an ethical endeavor and can can motivate ethics to the extent because there's a common criticism it's like while you use science you're only investigating what is and you're, you're not investigating what ought to be so we we not only we need science we also need philosophy and everything else for for the for the realm of the art and it seems to me that once one collapses the distinction between is and not there's a space carved out for science where science itself can investigate values however i'm i'm not so certain how this will be and we can maybe develop onto it after you talk about the logical part I think that the logical part is quite simple. I completely agree with you that that is precisely what I was trying to say when I'm saying, well, the is and ought does have a logical problem when you're putting that snuck premise in. However, if I think we use is and ought in the more Heideggerian sense that we we're discussing previously, perhaps then the apparent distinction 
between what is, is precisely a discussion of what already is and ought, such that both terms is and ought are both ontological terms instead of one being ontic and one ontological. If that's one way we can look, and that's how perhaps some people can say, well, that bypasses the logical problem because they're actually both ethical terms in the first place. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I'll try. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? But, yeah, but I, before I think that's a good thoughts, solution. Yes. But before we get into the next part, we, we don't have much time, so we'll only be talking a bit about the is and all, but we will be talking about science in the future. So if you are interested in a more specific discussion about science, which would take a long time, and Warren knows what I'm going to say, make sure to like and subscribe, because you would not want to miss out that discussion. Because if you watch till this moment, 16 minutes into the video, I'm sure you enjoy this kind of meaningless discussion. So I'm sure you would enjoy between, uh, watching the next between Cambridge and Oxford perspective um, undergraduate. Perhaps, perhaps here we can see how superior Oxford is to Cambridge, or vice versa. Precisely. <laughs> I mean, well, if you're making your uni choices and you're watching this video, you should probably stop watching this video and do some reading. But at the same time, if you're watching this, this is perhaps a difference between a prospective Oxford student and a prospective Cambridge student. There is quite decent banter between us. But let us continue and talk a bit about the cycle. Um, sociological discussion, which I think you're raising quite well, is precisely that relationship between the is and the ought. And and from what you've said, at least in your introduction, what I've heard, you seem to suggest that science as a whole, but but let's bring it only to is and ought, that somewhat ought comes from the is. But I'd like to make the case that is comes from the ought in such the way that suffering, we know it is suffering because we know it is bad. It is suffering because it is bad, such that we live first on an ontological level and it's from that lens in which we view the world, the is, such that when we're saying this is suffering, what we mean already is to say that that is bad. And it's only that we know it's first bad that we call it it, it is that thing, perhaps. And that's perhaps, I think, the more reasonable way to look at it, or, or at least the way that I think fits best with the worldview that I am approaching or proposing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yes, I, I think that's, that's a perfectly valid Point, and that's a great insight. However, I perhaps I also want to point out that to an extent, uh, facts can also inform our values in the sense that if I, if I found out something about the world, conceivably that fact finding would be able to influence the, my value judgment. Uh, for example, let's say if I found out that a lot of people before me, um, many of my ancestors, <laughs> were, I don't know, were, were farmers and they, they ate potatoes all day. And perhaps, I, I, I'm making this ridiculous example because I couldn't think of anything better. Perhaps it would, it would inform my value judgment in the sense that once I find out that fact, it would change how I value the act of eating potatoes. Eat, the, the act of eating potatoes itself will become something valuable for me uh, in this reciprocal fashion. I think you're right to point out, and there's this reciprocal relationship between the two. And actually, I, just to go on a side note, it brings back very painful memories from my Cambridge interview. Because the first question they, that they asked me, which I failed completely, was exactly on, on this question. They're like, well, don't you think, uh, they were talking about Wittgenstein, about sort of, uh, you cannot write any moral sentences. And they're like, well, why don't you think um, it is wrong to, it, it is wrong to make a baby suffer is, is a moral sentence. And then I, I, I got completely stumped on it. But I think you gave the right answer. When I say that it is wrong for a baby to suffer, the use of the word suffer already implies a moral judgment that is not warranted when, we're just, when we want to restrict our realm 
into the facts. So I guess my answer to you would be that there is this reciprocal relationship in the sense that, of course, as you said, there's this ontological or the ethical uh, informing the the facts, but also the facts can come back to inform the ethical. Although I, I would like you to challenge me on the second point, because I'm not sure whether it really is valid. Well, I think that the initial perhaps problem you could see with it is precisely one could suggest that suffering in this situation, if we're only talking about it from its a factual or scientific, if that's the limited way we want to talk about it, scientific sense, is precisely we're talking about the pain, the decibels of pain, if that's how you measure pain or something like that. And perhaps you could say that the baby is experiencing pain. And in that sense, you could say perhaps a purely scientific person can make the case that that is precisely and is all that we are experiencing and all we're seeing. I mean, from a psychological perspective, the psychoanalysts would say that that approach to language is itself wrong. But there is there seems to be at this point a, a, a foundational disagreement instead of perhaps um, a, a deeper of, of not deeper, but a more superficial disagreement. What is being at what's at stake here is precisely the roots of the language in which we're using. Yeah. Perhaps what I'm trying or what we're trying to suggest is it is precisely the usage of language. The usage of language is created from its a uh, meaning, the, the ethical substrate underneath it's found. It, humans fundamentally start from meaning before they build facts, whereas someone else might say humans fundamentally start from facts and then build upon meaning. And it really depends which way you're going from, mm. even though I personally yeah. think an evolutionary way is actually suits the meaning instead of a, in some sense, a science supports a meaning approach. But yeah. I think that it's this fundamental dichotomy is perhaps the only objection you can have here. Because I, I don't mm -hmm. see how you can find from if human starts with meaning, you can find an internal contradiction or inconsistency with the system or the reasoning we've just built. Yes. And just to follow on about this meaning thing and relation, its relation to language, uh, one can consider, I think, a, a very simple observation in real, uh, in natural life. It's like when, when someone is speaking, you normally presume that what they're saying is of substance. And when you realize that they're speaking gibberish, you're like, what the hell, why, why the hell are you saying that to me? When you realize that what they're saying is irrelevant uh, to, to your aims. So in this sense, every single word that, that was saying, uh, we presume, or every single word that was saying, we presume that it has value for other people. And every single word that others say to us, we presume that it, it has value to us or else we won't listen. So in this sense, uh, every single in linguistic utterance is already saturated with meaning and value judgments, or else it wouldn't be uttered at all. And taking this back to, um, to, to the biological case, uh, actually, I think scientists don't talk about pain when, when they're being very specific. They talk about, I think, narcoreceptor stimulation and they, they don't because they don't want to sort of link themselves onto the fact, uh, onto the value side of things. And I think the really interesting question here, after we've established this reciprocal relationship to, between value and facts, is should science be informed by value? Or it, should it be such a foreseen science in the sense of uh, we, we can only talk about narcoreceptors rather than talking about pain? And because in this sense, there's, there's a sense in which I think science ought to, to talk about value as well as facts if it, mm -hmm. if it is to be something that is of value to, to everyone. Mm -hmm. but and I'm I might so interrupt sure. you right there. 
I think you have been, as always, very um, prescient in, in the sense that you have seen what I wanted to discuss in my next video. As as we have established, I am indeed running low on time. And, and perhaps we could end off this um, discussion by giving an analogy. If, my, if Warren Jew started talking to me and I only responded to him by 2 plus 2 equals 4, of course, there's a great Russian idiom 2 plus 2 equals 5. But if I constantly responded by saying 2 plus 2 equals 4, he'll probably leave the call pretty quickly. That is a fact, but it doesn't have meaning. And perhaps that's a good thing where we can end off. You can perhaps, before we do post our video about science, also think about should science also take into consideration the ought, the value, the ontological realm, as well as the ontic realm of what it's uh, proposing and see what actually is the purpose of science. What does it mean to live a scientific life? I hope you've enjoyed this video. If you enjoyed this video, like always, make sure to like and subscribe. It really means a lot to me. It really helps this channel grow. We have been growing our subscribers really, really quickly of late. I don't even know how that's possible, but we have indeed hit 571 Because of Cambridge and Oxford. Because of Oxford. Exactly. I think that that is indeed <laughs> the case, perhaps. But I'll see you soon. Thank you for watching. Stay safe, my friends. And goodbye. I'll see you in the next one. Have, safe, have Stay safe and God bless.